We certainly appreciate you uh, being willing to be on our show today. Uh, first of all, uh, I personally am just very excited about you being in the position of district attorney here in Wyandotte County. Uh, we uh, def definitely celebrate having you with the integrity package that you bring to the table. And so kind. So I just want you to know we, we continuously celebrate you and talk about you often and the good work that you are doing. Well, I'll tell you, uh, number one, I am grateful uh, that we have the opportunity to work together as a community and to have folks who are in the community that are engaged and actually caring about what's happening in this criminal justice system. Uh, so many are um, disengaged and quite frankly just kind of um, ignorant to the realities of of the system and so mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate you being engaged in, in doing what you're doing it's an honor serving okay well thank you um, well uh, mr. Mark Dupree the district attorney here in Wyandotte County we have um, you on our show today on this podcast uh, shades injustice. And so um, I sent you a few questions. And so I'm going to start with those questions. Um, first of all, uh, I so appreciate you helping in the Lamont McIntyre case where he had been in prison for over 20 years and you participated in helping him become a free man because he was innocent. Uh, in these times of Black Lives Matter, uh, what would you recommend uh, for a family that uh, may be having some of the same issues as what was going on with Mr. McIntyre? Uh, well, let me start by saying that what happened to Mr. McIntyre was simply a travesty. There's no way around it. It was a travesty uh, to justice, uh, to uh, Wyandotte County, and, and more specifically to Mr. McIntyre and his family. Uh, and then lastly, to the family of uh, the victims of the actual murders, uh, because those families never receive justice uh, for uh, the taking of their loved ones' lives. And that, that is the travesty in this situation. Uh, Mr. McIntyre's case uh, was not one that was unique, sadly. It was uh, the first here in Wyandotte County for it to be exposed, uh, for it to be seen, but there has been uh, negative uh, and quite frankly, uh, uh, corrupt practices throughout our criminal justice system that disproportionately affect uh, people of color uh, and uh, those who are without uh, financial means to fight in the appropriate way. In fact, I, I, I pointed the three Bs uh, that the criminal justice negatively affect black, brown, and broke folks. Uh, and uh, oftentimes we find that those type of individuals uh, are in the crosshairs of the system without the ability to get out. And so uh, where citizens in our community have those type of problems uh, and they have a case that has uh, grown cold or a case that uh, they believe, one, uh, I never did it. I didn't do it. I didn't get a fair shake. The system was rigged. Our conviction integrity unit 
uh, is uh, open to receiving applications uh, of those instances so that my office directly can review those cases. Uh, what you we call it Conviction Integrity Unit. Yes, ma'am. Um, and that's on our website as well. They can go to uh, our Wyandotte County District Attorney's web uh, page and they then can click on our tab uh, that is uh, CIU Conviction Integrity Unit. And on there, the application is a litany of questions, right? What what are they alleging that the police did or didn't do concerning their case? What are they alleging that the prosecutor or the judge that was on that case did or didn't do? In Mr. McIntyre's case, it was a litany of things on the uh, de detective that was on the case, but also on the prosecutor uh, who was uh, then in this office. And so it wasn't just uh, the allegations of what happens on the street, but there was things that went wrong uh, in this office. And uh, so the Conviction Integrity Unit is here to review those cases and where appropriate uh, to do our part in filing the correct motions to get those cases uh, thrown out. Uh, and just like Mr. McIntyre's case, ultimately one, he was released from prison. Uh, and two, uh, the Kansas Attorney General and ultimately the state of Kansas uh, gave him a certificate of innocence. Uh, after reinvestigating everything that this office said and did, they came to the same conclusion that Mr. McIntyre, not only did he not receive a fair trial, but he was absolutely innocent of the crimes that he spent over 23 years in prison for. Uh, and so that's the goal behind the CIU and that's who they can contact. Okay. Thank you so much for uh, clearing that up. And uh, uh, the uh, one young lady that uh, made known during the protest we had here in Wyandotte County about her brother being convicted when he was innocent, I will make sure that uh, she gets this information and that she visits your website and possibly give you uh, a call or your office. So thank you. Absolutely. Um, what do you recommend uh, families to do when they cannot afford to pay bail for an arrested family member? I remember calling you during the COVID crisis early on asking uh, what are you doing for the inmates and your staff during COVID? And one of the things you revealed to me was that there were not near as many arrests uh, because the nonviolent offenders uh, were not retained. And so uh, they were not, that meant that they didn't have to pay bail, I assume. So uh, can you give me a little bit more information about bail and what are some possibilities for bail being waived and how can we the community help those families uh, who are stuck and cannot pay bail? What can we do as community members? Uh, so a couple of things. One, this administration uh, has continuously worked on um, uh, solid bail reform. Uh, our system of bail in this country, money bail, has uh, caused so many uh, folks who are without means, right? That's that third B, broke folks, uh, to be stuck, incarcerated, uh, and, and in jail uh, pre-conviction, not because they're more of a danger than anyone else, not because they're at risk <clears throat> of not coming back to court. And it needs to be clear that according to our laws, those are the only two reasons that 
uh, a judge is to take into uh, consideration when keeping someone in custody uh, pre-conviction. That is, are they a harm to themselves or to the community? And two, are they at risk of not returning? Uh, and what we have found is that many individuals uh, do not meet that criteria, uh, but they still get a significant bond. And because they're broke, uh, they, they can't get out. Right. And, and then the cycle begins. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's many studies out there uh, that show that the, the longer a person is uh, pre-conviction incarcerated, the more likely they are to accept a plea for a crime they didn't commit. Right. Right. And right. so because they just want to go home. Yeah. Uh, and and me saying I didn't do it is not getting me home. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's you know, right. That's been something that we have carefully looked at. And so um, my office takes very close look at uh, each case uh, and our recommendations to the court on what a bail should be on a specific case based off of those two uh, criteria. Now, we don't set the bail, the judge does. And so uh, there's been multiple times where the judge will agree. And then there's been multiple times where the judge says, oh no, no, he's not getting a signature bond. Oh no, that's too low. Uh, and we're gonna give a $5,000 bond or whatever it is because that's the, the norm. Uh, when COVID, hit, there was an overpopulation of individuals that were incarcerated, quite frankly, or rather in custody in our jails, uh, because of that practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and the judges in our office uh, and, and the DA's office got together, and, along with the Sheriff's Department, and we began to review each case. And we looked at each inmate. Uh, and through these last three months, we've uh, reduced the jail population by more than 25%. That's over 125 individuals who have been released wow. uh, because the judge looked at it and said, they're not a harm, and two, they'll come back, and they released them. Uh, and, <laughs> and here's the thing. Um, we know that the more people you have in one place, the more likely you are to be receptive to COVID. Right. And so yeah. it was jointly beneficial, right? Mm -hmm to the sheriff's deputies, uh, to the medical staff who were there, as well as to the inmates, not to have that many people. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, then it, it was okay to release these folks. Mm -hmm. My hope is that moving forward, that we will continue to have the same mind, that okay. we are not looking at simply setting a bond because we need to be perceived as going tough on crime, but more so, simply setting the bond based on the two criteria, and that's it. Because none of these judges released anyone in these last couple months that they felt was uh, uh, a harm to the community. None of them released anyone that they believe were not gonna come back to court. And so to find over 100 inmates uh, within a couple months time that you already have put in there that now all of a sudden, because of this pandemic, uh, fit the criteria, uh, you know, it is what it is. But the point being, I hope it continues that way. Individuals who do not have funds to get out of, of jail, they can ask their attorney or themselves uh, to request a bond modification to the judge uh, and lay out uh, their reasons for that bond modification. Hence, these are the two criterias 
and I meet them. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, I, I think it's important that murder is a serious crime, right? When we say murder, right. everyone says, oh, that's the worst crime. But if I got a murder suspect whose parents has a million dollar estate or a $500,000 estate, and then I have a murder suspect whose family doesn't have an estate <laughs> mm -hmm. and barely got $500 in the bank account, Right. Living paycheck to paycheck. Both of those individuals have the same constitutional right of being innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. And for that person who has that million dollar or five hundred dollar estate, a two hundred thousand dollar bond is nothing. They're going to yeah. go find that ten percent or twenty percent to give to a bondsman ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars, and they're good to go and they're right. out. Whereas the one who doesn't have an estate, they're in there for the duration. The only difference, both of them committed a crime, both of them allegedly committed murder. And in fact, oftentimes, both of them don't have any criminal history or the same. But because they don't have the same financial ability, capability, one stays in, one gets out. Usually that means one will plea this one will go to trial. So those are the things that are inherently a problem in our criminal justice system and that disproportionately uh, affect black, brown, and broke folks. And, and um, how can we be proactive in changing those laws? I mean, uh, is it uh, it's according to each state, according to each jurisdiction, according to each district? So we, in this district, how could we begin that process of changing that law? Each judge has the ability to set whatever bond they want, period. We have to, to really uh, hold our judges accountable and hold the district attorney's office accountable. Uh, many counties and states across the country have gotten rid of money bail, period. Uh, and that is a state issue. Uh, the state, there can be legislation that gets rid of money bail, period. There are other forms of bail that would accomplish the same thing that would not disproportionately affect folks uh, that do not have the means, but yet keep the community safe, as well as uh, giving everyone an opportunity uh, to, to fight for their uh, innocence. Because here's the reality. If I'm in jail, uh, my lawyer has to come back and forth to see me. And that's a very difficult thing at times. Uh, and so if I'm out of jail, when I have the right to fight for my innocence, I'm more likely to have more capabilities to go back and forth with my attorney, review the evidence, uh, prepare a defense, and so on and so forth when I'm out of custody versus when I'm in. And so Two-fold answer. One, yes, there's state legislation that can be had to get rid of uh, bail, uh, money bail altogether. And then second, holding our elected officials, including judges in Wyandotte County, as well as the district attorney's office, uh, accountable to the amount of bail uh, that we're asking for. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, that, that sounds like uh, quite a project, but doable because 
we know who our commissioners are and we know some of the judges so we could start um, just right there and just see what we could do locally here before even going to the state. I know New York uh, last year kind of got rid of the bail and they had so many people uh, complaining. And so to some extent, I think they pulled some of that back in, but uh, I'm not sure where uh, New York is on that right now. But I know legislation, like you said, around the country is being challenged uh, when it comes to bail. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, what steps are being taken to help those repeat offenders who have mental disabilities? Is there a collaboration with Wine.E and the police department or the sheriff's department to help with mental health and addiction challenges? The answer is uh, yes. There's a couple things. One, for those who are uh, suffering and dealing with mental health uh, concerns, um, I, I know that my office has created uh, a mental health diversion that would allow individuals who have been diagnosed with uh, mental health concerns uh, and has caused them to ultimately end up with uh, a charge. Uh, we then can assist them and work with them to make sure that they are going to see their, their physicians and their doctors and so on and so forth and, and uh, get the treatment that they need. Uh, we've connected with uh, Wine.Inc. Uh, as well as uh, others around. Many of the folks that come into our jails are usually that that have that uh, some type of diagnosis are already seeing someone at Wine.Inc. Paces, uh, Johnson County Mental Health, uh, uh, and uh, all throughout the region. And oftentimes they're here, and many of those doctors don't even know that their patients are here. And so we know that studies show that over 40% of the folks that are in our county jails and across the country have a diagnosed uh, a mental health uh, diagnosis. Uh, and so oftentimes, many of these folks don't get the help that they need. Uh, and so we created that diversion. We've also, with the courts, created the behavior health court, which allows us again, but on the, on the court level, district court level, <clears throat> to assess and to look at those situations and to take them down the right path uh, concerning their needs. Um, concerning individuals in custody uh, that have these issues, I know that when there is a concern of someone's mental capacity or uh, health, uh, then the jail has um, doctors uh, and nurses who are there on staff and they can treat them or rather they can diagnose them, check, check out what's going on. And then if they need assistance, then they can form them out to a place where they can get uh, the assistance that they need. Once that information becomes known to the jail, then I believe that our sheriff and those folks uh, act accordingly to get them the help that they need. And sometimes that means that they're transferred to uh, Osawatomie uh, or to Larnard Mental health institution to get the assistance that they need. But again, this is when that information becomes known uh, to, to the jail and to the courts. Okay. All right. Well, I, I was wondering because uh, working at Avenue of Life, of course, we have helped many of the homeless and all of a sudden we don't see them for a while. 
And when we do see them again, they say, oh, I just got out of jail. But when yes. they come out of jail, they look so good. They gain weight. They are in their right mind. They're not cussing everybody out or threatening to beat anybody or asking me to be their girlfriend. So <laughs> you all have uh, helped them. So I appreciate that and look forward to uh, hearing more about what we do for that population. And I know Wyandotte County has such a huge population uh, with mental illness and the COVID uh, restrictions did not help us out at all because uh, um, many, like our organization, our doors are still closed. We still help uh, in some respect and many other uh, organizations doors closed too. So I just hope we're able to really be proactive in helping that population. So my well, next question, I'm sorry. Well, I was gonna say, yes, it, it's, it's something that I, I take it near and dear to my heart because many folks who are dealing with mental health issues are homeless. Uh, and uh, as you know, I am a pastor and for the last 10 years, uh, we've had a very thriving uh, homeless ministry of feeding the homeless and we uh, pick up van loads of folks uh, who are in shelters and bring them to our church and uh, feed them uh, on specifically on Sunday mornings. But since COVID, we haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Uh, and so instead, what we've done is boxed up uh, 75 to 100 meals. And every Sunday morning um, in front of City Union Mission, and those wonderful folks are lined up nearly all the way down the block uh, getting food and my line is, I got a hot meal and a hot message. And so we uh, take my sermon on the top of the food box uh, and we minister to those folks. And uh, I have seen tremendous uh, progress and tremendous uh, growth. And many of them, some of them have joined the church. Uh, one of them have uh, even took, took some of one of the uh, ministry, minister women and, and married them and, and took them on his way. And so uh, with, with God and with support, uh, things are, are possible. So it is indeed dear to my heart. Yeah, God, we, we know that God can absolutely uh, use us to really turn their lives around. And so we appreciate your dedication. And also uh, Avenue of Life, we still serve on Mondays and Tuesdays and I think Saturdays. But we put the sack lunches outside and they're just able to pick up whatever they want. And we still are serving 1,300 uh, families from the school district, even now, we take the food to their home. And uh, so we still are active and busy doing things. And if uh, individuals need diapers or soap powder or hygiene products, we yeah. have that available too. So uh, my next question has to do with women who are in prison uh, here in Wyandotte County. First of all, uh, where are they housed? and or are they allowed to receive visits from their family? Uh, is there help and support for their mental disabilities? Uh, and or there's special facilities for women in prison who are pregnant. So that's where we'll start with the women. So I'll, I'll give uh, uh, as much as that information that I have. Of course, when we're dealing with um, <clears throat> folks who are in custody, uh, they are uh, in the custody of the sheriff's department. 
And so that's uh, directly in line with them. So you have two forms of incarceration. You have those who are in custody pre-conviction, which are the ones who are in our county jails. And then you have those who are in prison uh, post-conviction, which are incarcerated uh, in the, the, the state uh, institutions. And so they're no longer in our county jails. And so, um, so for the ones that are in our county jails, uh, they are housed here in Wyandotte County. I believe they have a separate pod and a separate floor for those individuals uh, who are uh, of, of female persuasion. And with that, uh, yes, they are able, just like the male uh, inmates, to receive uh, visitation and, and uh, uh, receive the, the same amenities as everyone else. Concerning okay. those who are uh, uh, pregnant, uh, beyond that of their medical staff and needs being net, met there, which I know they have a, a whole staff of nurses and things of that sort, I don't know if there's any uh, extra protocols or things in place to assist them. Um, I do know that Kansas only has one uh, fully uh, separate from the male inmates institution prison for women and that is the Topeka in Topeka their women's prison and so anyone who is incarcerated uh, as a female in the state of Kansas post conviction and sent to prison they're sent to the women's prison I believe that is uh, in Topeka Kansas and I, I read up on that institution it's about 900 women there and I wonder um, just what what types of um, help is done for the women? In in much of my research, I discovered that the women did not receive um, uh, services. You know, if they had mental disabilities or severe emotional problems, and of course, many of these women have uh, been abused physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, uh, so they definitely need help and support. And I just wondered uh, from your viewpoint, what could be done to help women that are in the state of Kansas? I heard that part of the research I did said that that one uh, in the state of Kansas, uh, in Topeka, with over 900 folks was uh, way over capacity that uh, we needed, maybe, I hate to say it, build another prison, but maybe come up with another way where women uh, reach a certain plateau of uh, recovery and can be uh, put somewhere else like a, a safe home or something like that. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I am never a fan of building another prison. I, I just, <laughs> I'm just not. I, every day I look out of my window and I see no the jail that we're building for uh our our young people and you know it is my hope that it is utilized as a uh, therapeutic center a center to uh assist and reform a center into getting classes and anger management and resources versus just another jail for our young people so i'm not a fan of that um yeah. however i do know that uh the more that <laughs> And, and look, this this doesn't take me being the DA to know this. This is uh, me growing up in, in a family where we had six biological children. Uh, and then as my parents were pastors, they, they took in three more from the church. And so we had nine kids. 
uh, in there, and I was the youngest male. The more folks you have in one place, <laughs> the more likely uh, you're going to find some issues uh, and some bumping of heads and the uh, uh, altercations. And, and, and with that, um, you know, there comes uh, other charges. You know, the more you have of individuals, then the more aggravating you, uh, circumstances and situations you get. And now you have a uh, battery against law enforcement. You have assault against law enforcement, you know, because those it, it, it's, it's a whole bunch of folks in one place um, or a, a battery against one another, right? Yeah. And so I think that there should be something that could be done. I think that all uh, women incarcerated should have their needs back. I yeah. mean, period. I mean, they should be able to, to get the, the necessary items that are needed as a woman. And, mm -hmm. and there is nothing, I don't care if it's 900 of them in there, that should not stop them from being able to get the resources that they need. And yes, I, I am aware that that happens uh, and, and it needs to change, but I think that can change by simply uh, making sure that the, the folks who are uh, commissioned to make sure they get it are held accountable yeah. and that there, there's transparency, right, yeah. on a weekly or monthly basis mm -hmm. to make sure that they get done. Here's the mm -hmm. reality. Uh, if folks don't know about the actions or the inactions, then there's no way for folks to hold these individuals accountable. If right. I don't know that you committed a crime, I can't prosecute you. Right. Mm -hmm. If I don't know that these guards are withholding this stuff, I can't deal with it. Yeah. And so there needs to be some transparency uh, so that there can be accountability. Uh, and, and lastly, concerning building another prison, I don't think we need to build another one. I think there's enough places and locations in the state of Kansas where if they wanted to, to, to take some space, they could and just move half of those women. Uh, we, we have to, in our minds and in our communities, we have to change. There has to be a reboot on what we are trying to accomplish with our prisons. Is the focus totally on punishment and isolation? And if that is the key, fine load them up by the droves and just keep them there. Don't give them anything that they need. But I think that is the mindset that got us into the place that we're in right now. I think that we have to rethink what being in prison in our state and in our country means. There has to be, after we get through the punishment, we have to get to the rehabilitation because over 80% of the folks that go in, they're coming home, period. Only that top five to 10% is gonna stay there for life. So we got 90% of folks who are coming home. What are we doing to assist those folks who are coming home to reintegrate them into our communities and making sure that they have the resources, the job, the funding, the financing, the uh, psychological assistance, the, 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 the resources that they need so that we can continue to reduce recidivism because it's right. not just about punishing them when they do a crime. Right. It's about stopping them from, from doing future crimes, which helps our community from becoming future victims. That's right. And so 
in, yeah. in, investing in reentry, which this office is doing and have partnered with folks like the Village Initiatives and others across this community and avenues of life to make sure we're doing our part so that the ones that I prosecute today, my prayer is that we don't have to prosecute them tomorrow. That's good, that's good. Well, District Attorney, Mr. Mark Dupree, we're one minute over, but this has been fabulous. Thank you so much. 